The Kinky Boys Podcast. Exploring one kink at a time. Hello and welcome to the Kinky Boys Podcast. I'm Craig. And I'm Arzer. And today we are interviewing Chris about silicone infusion. Is that the right word? Infusion? Injection? Uh, I I think that's probably good for the term. I've heard people use a number of uh, names for it, including being juiced, which kind of sort of overlaps with steroids, but accurate. Uh, From what I've talked with people before, there is a crossover with people that like to use steroids and make other parts of their body quite huge. Um... (laughs) Yes, if steroids worked on genitals, no one would use silicone. <laughs> there would probably also be some farmyard animals who looked very different, I imagine. Yes, yes. <laughs> Get the wheelbarrow, we're moving the bulls. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, start us off. Where, why don't you tell our listeners uh, about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I'm... I guess I would say I'm surprisingly normal <laughs> in terms of if you ran into me on the street, you'd think I was just an average guy, except for the ridiculous bulge. Um, I'm, I'm a furry. I've had BDM interest for a decade or more um, interest in pup play. Um, I've been interested in body modification for a long time. So that's an overlap that happens, I think, mm-hmm. with the silicone. Um, you know, I started simple with some piercings and uh, then tattoos, a full body tattoo. Uh, and then the silicone was something that, uh, much like the tattoo design that I have, I saw on someone else and thought, you know, that's, that's what I, I would like on me. That's what I would like to look like. There's a connection to that that really compels me. So that's when I pursued it. Oh, well, and I mean, you do have some impressive tattoos. It's <laughs> obviously with not a visual medium, but, um, you have a full body block work going on it's sort of a suit of armor black work yes yeah i mean how painful was that just getting it filled in (laughs) it was it was brutal it was uh two years uh, almost 200 hours by the time i was done um uh, i have a, a friend mike who helped me design the the tattoo based on his own original and he went through the exact same thing so he was the only one that was honest about me or honest with me about how uncomfortable it was everyone's like oh tattoos you it's just and by the time i was done i was like you guys seriously (laughs) seriously they told you that i mean just getting my ribs done was painful and i had folks at the shop walking over and saying you're you're a better man than i that hurts yeah, no, I, I had most people tell me, oh, you get used to it. It's a pain that, you know, after a few minutes, it kind of fades into the background. Endorphins, and uh, like endorphins, <laughs> Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, all in the same category by the time I was done, is, is what I was thinking. Um, uh, I only, uh, only passed out once, but uh, yeah, it was. Oh, oh God. Well, a, a rib is a rib, and bony areas will always get you 10 times out of 10. Those are the worst. Along the spine and the upper mm. inner thigh, like right under the crease of my butt, was the one that made me just go out. Oh, I mean, there are a ton of nerve endings there. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as it turns out, there are a ton yeah. of nerve endings everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So yeah. Well, I'll let you lead, Greg. I was going to say, so what started you off down this path? Because, I mean, you've pretty he- heavily modified your body between the tattoos and the silicon. What what, what, what got the ball rolling with that? Um, I guess it was sort of a... Uh, I guess I'll call it a project to sort of make my body image match uh, my body. Do more things that made me feel like the person I was in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a modification that when I saw it on someone else... You know, if you've seen images of people who have had silicone infused... They range from looking like simply oversized normal genitals to, you know, gargantuan modifications that are cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And I sort of found my interest being somewhere in the middle, um, you know, an unrealistic set of proportions that was still aesthetically pleasing to me. Uh, I didn't want to end up with people, what people jokingly call the sandworm or the baked potato. Uh, so that was my effort to sort of keep things aesthetic and, and some people, again, you know, focus on keeping things very natural looking, uh, and that takes a lot more skill and people will go to physicians in other countries to get that done if they're super concerned about the appearance. Really? That actually brings up an, an, an excellent question. How do you locate providers to perform these services? Because obviously in America, there really is no FDA-approved cosmetic surgery procedure for these sorts of injections. And right. when you... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so when you start to look for someone, you don't really have a, a certification standard to look for. It's it's hard to find, you know, some sort of uh, empirical way to verify hygiene and that the needles are sterile and the silicone source is pure. How do you go about that? Um Again, this is, I'm not sure how it compares to other undergroundy processes because I haven't really dabbled in, you know, any other things like this. So it was an unusual experience, but it was sort of like a club uh, in terms of once you connected with someone who had the modification, they were able to pro- provide a little information and a little more information. And it sort of dominoes out into a network of people um, who either can point you in the right direction or actually connect you with someone as a provider and the providers are usually reference only you know they'll deal with a customer a friend of a customer that kind of thing um and the materials are unusual in that they're not the the materials themselves are not illegal uh there's nothing dangerous about them unless someone sells you you know contaminated materials or something that's actually not pure medical grade silicone that sort of thing that's that's interesting because whenever i've um heard about these modifications the first thing that comes to my mind and and probably betrays my age, is that I think back to the 1980s when they had the silicone breast implants that were leaking, and there was a lot of activity Mm -hmm. in the media about what are the long-term health consequences of this, lawsuits were filed, but it sounds like from what we've seen so far with the the silicone mods, I haven't heard of really anyone complaining of long-term health consequences. uh, It's not... I have. It's not for um, gentlemen infusing like their genitals. A lot of it is for <laughs> people in the trans group, especially, um, you know, people that aren't financially well off in the trans group. Um, basically trying to get silicone injections into like their glutes and chest and it goes horribly wrong. So if you think about this, it makes sense because 
you know, on, on a guy, your genitals, your, your mm-hmm. scrotum, it's a bag at the bottom of your body and mm-hmm. gravity pulls downward. So for migration issues where the silicone creeps to places where it shouldn't be, putting it in your chest or in your glutes or anywhere else on your body, it's there's nothing holding it there. It's just going to slide in whatever direction you know, nature pulls it, gravity, your muscle movements, your normal pressure of your clothing, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And while the, the danger of migration fades over time as your body bonds with the silicone, it's still a fairly big deal. But in the genitals, it's in a bag, and it's going to stay in the bag unless you spend a lot of time standing on your head. So in a way, you kind of have to envision it like something that is not a fixed point in your body and has the potential to travel. So you kind of have to know where to place it so that it has limited options to do so. Right. And in eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, eventually your body does build a network of, you know, collagen, fatty tissues, uh, blood vessels, uh, adapts to it and makes it part of your body. But until that point, it does have some limited mobility. And and part of the process you know, that you could ask about is um, you have a lot of responsibility for months and months after any injection. It's like having a pet. You have to massage out lumps. You have to move, physically move the silicone in the directions you want it to go, that it appears the way you want it to appear, that it doesn't form hard masses. Um, you know, there are all sorts of dangers that come up with it in terms of mm. just aesthetic dangers. You know, it wouldn't cause you harm, but a big solid lump in the side of your penis is not pleasing. Um, so you have a lot of personal responsibility to make sure that the results are what you wanted. And it, it, it's a months long process every time new silicone is added until it's fixed by your body. Oh, wow. So is that basically how you can sort of keep the shape roughly? Yes. Yep. You, uh, you put it, you know, it, people go overboard. They add huge amounts, huge infusions at a time. And the more you put in, um, the more danger there is of your body not bonding with it, um, I guess, aesthetically, but well also. You know, you can have a mass and a mass won't grow. You can't put blood vessels through it. There's too much physical resistance for your body to integrate it. Um, and that's where the, the problems visually come in. So if you put in modest amounts and you're very careful about making sure that it stays or goes where it's intended to go, that's how you control the shape. So now that we've sort of covered the initial part of, of the shaping and, and what happens once it's in, I, I guess that sort of leads to another logical question. What, what was having the procedure done like? You, you know, I, I suppose you walk into this space. I, I don't know if it's like, was it like a medical clinic setting? Was it like someone's home? Well, in my case, I mean, the, there are a few uh, routes that people go there's the go to a doctor's office in mexico it basically this is either illegal or unregulable anywhere um but there are places like mexico where they won't stop anyone from doing it and there are a couple fairly well-known doctors down there that do that sort of procedure um there are people that will do it for a friend which is dangerous because that's practicing medicine without a license that's a Mm -hmm. that's a real thing with real penalties um and then there's my route which was to very carefully do it yourself um Get all the information you can, you know, learn all you can from people who have done it and carefully undertake doing it to yourself. Interesting. So you, you did the procedure to yourself after researching it? I did. Because I know a lot of people use saline themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's um, locating it, putting it where it's supposed to go is different than saline. But in terms of 
the the paraphernalia and the act of putting it in, it's very much like saline. Okay, so I mean, did you like do a trial run with saline to like see how it would um, feel on you? Or I've been present for other people getting saline, but I've actually never had it done on myself. And again, it's it's exactly the same, you know, mm-hmm. needles and all the, the same tubing and the same process. It's just a different solution that's going in. Huh, that's, and of course, that's... the aftercare is dramatically different, but the actual infusion is almost the same. Yeah, because with, with saline, your body will reabsorb it. Silicone, obviously not at all. Right. Silicone is, is absolutely, I mean, people say, you know, do you have to put more in over time? And it's like, no, this is, this is it. This is permanent. The only way to have this removed is surgically. Now, this, this also brings up a, another question. So you mentioned, you know, the only way to have it removed. For people who've had this procedure done, is it a is it a one way trip? Is it something that you set on doing and you understand that it's going to be a lifelong change, yes, or are there options? Absolutely. Right. Um, and I, I can't stress enough that this is a I mean, it is a one way trip. The only way out is fairly extensive cosmetic surgery, and there is very low likelihood that your genitals will ever look normal again if it's removed. Um, depending on what happens inside and, you know, how things have bonded to your body, there can be very little chance of saving some of the tissues. So you, it's a commitment. Wow. So, I mean, obviously it's a very big leap to take because again, this is lifelong. So what made you decide to do this? Well, again, it it was sort of a a back and forth in my head for Mm -hmm. six, eight months kind of decision. Um, It was, I, I'm not spontaneous about these types of things. The mm-hmm. tattoo was something that first I decided I wanted it and then spent six or seven months doing the design. So once I decide on something, I, I don't hesitate, but I spend a lot of time in deliberation beforehand. And it was just something that I thought, you know, would bring a lot of satisfaction to me visually. Um, and after I started, I found out that it brought a lot of satisfaction to me physically as well in terms of it's very pleasurable it's not for everyone in terms of you know some people experience patches of numbness and not as good results but that's that's just like morning you know your nipple being sensitive mm-hmm. on down those type those types of results happen with every body modification potentially i just didn't have any negative side effects so how did those sensations change as you went through the process? You mentioned that it was very pleasurable. In, in what ways did it manifest itself as, as being more pleasurable? Well, it's, and again, this is kind of one of those areas where it's like describing a color you've never seen. I would like to compare it to other uh, sensations, but it turned out to be very different felt and very different from anything that I expected. Um, the outside, of course, you, you have the same number of nerve endings. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. grow lots and lots of new nerve endings suddenly because the surface area is bigger. So they're spread out. Um, and it brings a weird sort of uh, change in surface area perception. You know, normally you touch your left elbow, you know exactly where your finger is on your body. Um, after these changes, you know, you touch your scrotum and you really can't tell where it's being touched. You get the sensation, you get the pressure you get that light, tickling, pleasurable sensation, but it's uh, more gradient and more spread out. And um, I, I, it's really, like you say, it's very hard to describe, but it's a very different feeling than anything that you're used to up to that point. Things go from being more localized to being more generalized. 
It's just kind of the sense I'm getting. That, that's definitely a reasonable way to put it, but yet no less intense in terms of there. I didn't get any loss of sensation. Well, I was going to say, so essentially you just get the same amount of pleasure, but over a bigger area or. Exactly. And, and it does, you know, your body does kind of fill in the blanks or at least your brain um, for whatever those changes in, um, you know, the, the point to point mm-hmm. connecting those dots uh, neurologically, something different happened. I can't tell you what, but you definitely do feel the entirety of the surface area in a very new and different way. <laughs> now, I've heard also, people refer to these types of mods as being addictive. Um, and while I think that's kind of a melodramatic way to put it, I do understand what they're saying in terms of the, you know, the bungee jumping aspect. The, this is an experience I've never had before, and it actually was great. Um, of course, will always compel people to get more of the same. But that's also true of a lot of other body mods. Tattooing in particular, people also have a similar sentiment about. And, and clearly, since you have a, a full body tattoo, you know, you, you clearly went in and, and kept proceeding as well. Ink can be addictive in that same way. Piercings for some people can be addictive that way as well. Yes. But for me, mine was more like you don't paint half a room. Uh, I, there was no way to stop once I started, even though it might, might have crossed my mind a few times along the way. You don't want to wind up like those guys on Star Trek. He is black on the left side and, and white on the right side. You don't <laughs> exactly. want to be like that, that. No. So now also there were some morphological changes that came along with these modifications as well. Uh, specifically your penis, you have like a, a sheath now. Could you talk about how the sensations and the activities you engage in have changed along with those uh, alterations as well? Um, that, that was a... A sequence of events that led to making that choice. But basically, you know, I had, I mean, a classically average half inches, nothing, you know, impressive, but not, you know, non-usable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mostly a bottom uh, because, I, you know, it didn't hurt. <laughs> I think that's what you know, <laughs> uh, drives a lot of people. I can take it, so I'll do it. Um, and it wasn't, uh, you know, a big problem for me in terms of pride of my penis. And I was just going to add this to my balls. Um, I liked the idea of the bull balls. I thought they looked good on people, so I thought I would do it. Um, and once I added it, it basically made everything else look ridiculously small. Uh, so I thought, okay, we give this a shot. Um, put a bit in and see what happens. And as I started adding to the penis, um, I'm, I was cut. Um, so it, uh, you know, there was no foreskin per se, but it added foreskin. It added a padded sort of ring all the way around the whole thing. Um, and then I realized it actually kind of felt really good. And I did some research to find out what happens to people. There's a, a fairly famous gentleman in France who has more silicone in his genitals than I would believe possible. Um, you know, mm. they're these massive 20-pound, mm-hmm. um, you know, sack of potatoes kind of things. Um, and just, you know, found out what physically happens as you add that much silicone. And what happens is it inverts. Um, you end up with what amounts to a fleshlight, uh, instead of a penis. So my penis is a small nub at the bottom of a very long flesh tube now. Um, and when I get hard, it's basically like I have a built-in fleshlight. Um, so I can, I can jerk off or use a vibrator, uh, to get off, but there's, there's no more penis per se to use. Um, the opposite is the case now. You know, you can insert into me and go to town, and it feels fantastic. 
for me. And I've been told fantastic for the other party. Wow. That... <laughs> it was unexpected. Um, I can't say I necessarily planned it. It wasn't a goal, mm-hmm. but I'm very pleased with the result. That's also a fairly yeah. big, that was a hurdle for me psychologically because you don't just say, I guess I won't have a penis anymore. Um, but that's ultimately what happened. So you say essentially, for lack of a better term, regrew the foreskin. Now I know circumcised guys like their glands dry out and a lot of people say it reduces sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, did that reverse at all or? Oh yes. Um, it's, I mean, because it's completely, uh, it's, it's at the bottom of a tube. It's nothing mm-hmm. touches it. You could punch me and I would feel the vibration and that would be about it. Um, so it took a while um, again for the tissues to adapt to being moist all the time because it's, you know, I mean, it's what happens when you're uncut. Um, it, you know, hygiene, learning how to care for everything became a new issue. But what happened is, yes, everything is very padded. There's very little sensation that gets to it unless it's intentional now. Um, and that sensation is incredibly intense because it's, again, protected from everything all the time. I think Craig is, is somewhat speechless, so I'll... Uh, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll... Uh, sorry, I'm just picturing it in my head. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay I'll, I'll i'll jump in with a question yeah, and, and yeah, buy him yeah. some time to to regain his british composure <laughs> stiff upper lip and all that um so now that you've had you know these injections done do you have plans to continue them or do you feel like you're at your ideal size right now um i i definitely think that this is in the range of done uh as there are going to be aesthetic changes um, because, you know, things settle and there are things you can't control about where they go physiologically, but you can add small uh, infusions after the fact to balance out, make sure that, you know, anything that's uneven or lopsided uh, cleans up. So you can make modifications to improve the appearance of what you've done. And that's, I think, what I'm focused on at this point, because I'm right at that point size-wise, that is, I can, you know, air quotes, conceal it. I can walk around in public in roomy enough pants that unless somebody happens to glance directly at my crotch, it's just not that noticeable. I don't have to walk funny. I don't have to wear a fanny pack in front. Um, I'm fairly conscientious at the gym about where I carry my gym bag and things like that because, you know, things jiggle and bounce. It's it's the consistency of what I would call flab, um, you know, like you're, like a flabby mm-hmm. belly. It's, uh, it feels human. It feels normal. It's warm, but it's jiggly. Um, so it, it has a tendency to, well, just like a a breast implant. I mean, if you imagine someone walking around, you know, under a shirt without a bra, it's that same kind of jiggling, um, effect that you get. So it's very obvious if I don't take steps to make it not obvious, but it can still be concealed reasonably. And I would imagine that you don't use the locker room at, at the gym or do you? Um, I do occasionally, but I, you know, I, again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an exhibitionist, which I think surprises a lot of people. I, I want to look the way I want to look, but I don't do that to shock people. I'm not interested in people's reactions being negative or pulling them into my fetish, um, you know, without permission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll turn to a wall, you know, I'll quickly make step in and out. I'm, I'm just very careful about being as casual and efficient as possible uh, about my exposure any place that's not a, you know, like an adult fetish environment. Because a lot, a lot of people that do this, it does seem like a lot of them have a ex- huge exhibitionist streak. 
very much so. And, and a lot of them are open about it. They blog about it. Part of their mm-hmm. experience is sharing the the times that they've shocked people, the places that they've exposed themselves, you know, inappropriately, that kind of thing. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's fine, but that's nothing like my thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously that does raise issues of, like you said, people haven't consented to that and it's... Right. I, I don't want people yeah. pulling away from me in an elevator. I don't... I have no desire to make people uncomfortable and as long as if i've taken reasonable steps to again you know public i do expect a mutual respect you know just like you wouldn't walk up to a woman you know with a large chest and say wow are those implants that's huge yeah i expect the same courtesy as long as i'm doing the same things to make sure i'm not appearing inappropriately yeah i mean that sounds perfectly reasonable it's <clears throat> i get the impression a lot of it's to do with size because as we talked about earlier a lot of people that also take steroids do it, and it's just a lot of people see that do it. I know seem to have the drive to just want to be huge, like all over, just huge and enormous, and almost cartoonishly so. Yes, and that's that's a fetish and an aesthetic. Um, some people that are huge in you know, there was always that old wives' tale that steroids shrink your genitals, and while they can make your testicles get smaller through atrophy, mm-hmm. they don't shrink your genitals. The perception was always. Your, your body is so huge now that it dwarfs everything else, which is exactly what happens. Your mm-hmm. genitals don't grow on steroids, but your body does, and it makes everything look small. So I think there's that drive to say, I need everything to match. I used to look huge. Now I don't. Let's fix that. Wow. So when did you first start to become interested in this? Was it um, something that's always been with you? Because a lot of people say, like, you know, I was watching Batman in the 60s and I saw these people getting tied up and that's what I wanted. And uh, I when... think it's a combination of a couple of things. It's been about three years that it was really in my head. Um, it was something again, you know, with, with furry art and, you know, it, there's, there's so much fetish art within the furry community and a lot of it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very easy to start visualizing cartoonish attributes, uh, hyper sized genitals, things like that as normal. And something that you, you know, you think about as a potential aesthetic, something that's really pleasing to you. Um, and then I saw actual pictures of the silicone in some people and it was, it went from something like, uh, you know, I, I had absolutely no awareness that it was a thing to suddenly there are 300 people that have it. And I don't know how that happened. Um, you know, how did I miss it all this time? Uh, and once I became aware of it, then I, w- I had an interest in it. And it was originally, you know, kind of a passing interest in terms of now, I'll probably never be able to do that, to finding out, gosh, this is actually possible as long as I'm careful. And that does seem to be something in the furry community where a, a lot of the time we do seem to pioneer ways to take art and bring at least some of it to life. It's, last week we talked about fursuits, and that's another sort of a, a way we've done that. Now, you know, sort of the hyper and macro uh, family of of art and fetishes has sort of brought about some of this as well. Right. And, and I would agree. I mean, it, it uh, you know, there are characters that I've seen that look just like me and that's kind of a, an interesting, you know, you never see anyone like you on TV sort of a statement about things. It does. It has acted to make me more comfortable with myself and being in public and not being as concerned. And likewise, I think it has made some people, uh, their reaction to me less severe than it would have been because it's something they've already seen just in art. I always find it interesting because especially with gay men with like body size and penis size, culturally as a collective, we tend to really prize size. And like, I think 
through like especially selection of porn stars and such thing we get a very distorted idea of how big genitals are on average right and it's i just find it so interesting that with an avenue open up to like really enhanced genitals or the body how that can happen and um sorry i'm not vocalizing it this this very well i'm just fascinated by the psychology behind it all sort of that drive and sort of admiration of well i can definitely see you know that being something people pursue i mean the bigger bigger penis has been something that people have sought for you know since the enzyte ads and smiling sam and all the craziness <laughs> that went on for that time um and it's never really <laughs> been possible there have been all sorts of things that happen along the way and i guess i would go so far as to say it's still not possible um there are a very select small subset of the people within the silicone community who had large genitals to begin with, who were able to enhance them to be bigger, but still look potentially natural. And that's unusual. Most people that get silicone genital mods, especially if they go beyond a very modest amount, less than a hundred cc's total overall, um, are going to look normal ever again. Um, you, you definitely have to be fine with that sort of, you know, hyper aesthetic. Well, you can get a scrotum that looks like a giant scrotum, um, once you start putting it in your penis, the, the the distance from normal penis to that's not normal, whether you like it or not is beside the point, but it's it's not normal, um, is very short. And it's very the, hard to get normal looking genitals with silicone, is, guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So if you go in with that expectation, those are the people that are frustrated. Those are the people that are really angry with the mod, is the ones that really expected to have gargantuan porn star penis and are disappointed with the more cartoonish aesthetic that they end up with. Yeah, I mean, even like um, in bull sacks, it removes the separation. So it takes on the more spherical, water balloon-like look rather than individual bulls, which I think most people really want. Well, and that's another issue is, again, that's yeah. that's craftsmanship. Um, I have balls. They're not balls. Really? but they're masses of silicone that I've specifically placed and not massaged out on either side of the sack so that it has that upside down heart shape that makes it look like a scrotum. Um, you know, when it's contained in something like a jock strap or a pouch, it's just a, you know, it's going to be just a sack, but uh, uncontained, or if you were to happen to grab it, um, you know, it still feels like there are balls inside. And that's something you can achieve if you're careful. Interesting. Cause I, my, Basically, I mean, I'm learning a lot today. Um, my understanding was, past a certain size, everything just turns into a blob. If, and I get the impression yeah, that's, that's because... Again, that's skill. Yeah. I mean, um, I get the impression that's because I was introduced through saline. And that's, that's which, true, because with saline, it infuses evenly into all the tissue. Uh, and you get a much mm -hmm. more gelatinous water balloony look like i mean you can if you once you've seen them both you can tell at a glance what's silicone and what's saline because um water uh saline makes things look bloated whereas over time silicone integrates and looks fairly normal gets wrinkles in it again and all the things that normal skin on genitals do um but saline has that short term the skin never has time to grow it never stretches it never adapts so you get that hyper shiny very gelatin like look to the whole thing and the shape you can't control because of course it's water um whereas with silicone 
over time, you know, as a process of number of injections, you can very much control uh, where it's going and where it's staying and, you know, whether or not it's massing in mm-hmm. some areas versus others. So obviously, once you have this procedure done, you, you don't stop going to the doctor or, or other medical providers. How have medical providers reacted to your modifications? Um, so far, I've only dealt with one, which is, you know, my GP. And uh, I would, so I guess here's another, you know, overall suggestion is that you can't be uh, a wimp about this. If you're going to go all in, you have to take responsibility for your health after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the the health issues that arise because of silicone happen either immediately, um, you know, where you've given yourself a silicone aneurysm and you die. Um, that's, you know, that's Mm. not a good thing. Um, but, uh, most of them are like nodules, granulomas, hardening of the masses. They're, uh, negative, but not life threatening. Um, they're certainly undesirable, but not life threatening. So you have to be willing to go to your doctor and say, I've, I've had this done. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not willing to work with me, you know, and, and as a patient, I need to know now, uh, you have to be honest about what's happened. You have to be honest about what you've done with it. Um, they're going to be 99.9% uninformed. Um, and you have to find a doctor that you're comfortable enough working with and, and that will respect you enough to listen to your information and continue to evaluate your health and not pull the whole, you know, everything that goes wrong with you after you get the silicone mod must be your silicone, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've I've run into some physicians like that during the time when I lived in Texas. The ones who uh, leap to conclusions first and don't run the necessary tests. So I right. I know what you're talking about. Oh, look, a shiny thing that must be the reason for all your health problems. Mm-hmm. And that's again, you know, you really have to be honest. I I my doctor was I, let's let's call it clinically appalled. <laughs> um, he was very professional about it, and he asked questions. But he had a look on his face the whole time like I was a burn victim um, and he felt Ooh. terrible for me. You know, that that the the experience for him was a challenging one to wrap his head around, but he was professional about it. And I continued to stay with him as a physician because um, that was the case. Uh, he you know, there were a few questions about why he wanted a little more information about how it came to be. But I was not willing to share that um, simply because. You know, I, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. It's my responsibility, and I've I've undertaken this myself. Um, right. That kind of thing. But after the fact, you know, he, you know, okay, you know, that that sort of reaction. Well, I guess mm-hmm. we'll just we'll proceed, and I'll ignore it unless it becomes a medical issue. And thus far, I mean, it's only been a few years, but thus far, there haven't been any medical issues to speak of. So, I mean, this might be getting too personal, but. So now when you're putting yourself out, like dating or looking to hook up, how has it affected that? Um, So I guess that's a hard area for me to talk about simply because Mm -hmm. I don't uh, get around much. Uh, My -hmm. exposure to people is fairly limited in terms of, you know, I I just don't hook up. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, friends and, and acquaintances that I am close to that I have shared sex with mm-hmm. um and they have all been people that you know were fully aware of what was going on before the fact and oddly enough all of them have been really positive and super turned on about it um oh, that's great that's not what i was really expecting to be perfectly honest and i was okay with that because i figured you know i've done something pretty extreme 
uh, that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea as long as they're respectful to me about it. No one owes me sex, you know, and I certainly have no problem with, Mm -hmm. you know, that not being a part of my relationship with a friend. But so far, the reaction is strangely aggressively positive. (laughs) So I I guess we've we've gone over our list of of questions and and things that have come to our mind. What would you like us and the audience at large to know about silicone infusions and, you you know, uh, tips, safety, all of that? Um, Well, I guess the the things I would say would be before or considering even anything like that, um, make sure you speak to people. There is actually quite a bit of information out on the internet now about it. And it ranges from banana to genuinely useful, but I haven't run into anything that was ridiculously wrong or misguided. Um, it's it's not an easy process. Um, it, it, again, it takes a lot of personal responsibility. You can't just do it and forget it. There's anywhere from three months to a year of you know very aggressive work required to make things stay in the shape that you want them to be. Um, there are commitments you have to make. Um, testicular self-exam um, becomes a problem. You, you have to have an ultrasound to have your testicles examined unless you're very careful about positioning your, your testicles in the sack and keeping them out of the silicone. You can't touch them anymore. There's no way to physically contact them and find out. So if you have a history in your family of testicular cancer and or cancer in general, that might be something you need to consider not pursuing the silicone because it, it makes it very difficult to find out if there's a problem. Um, you know, health concerns are always an issue. You don't want to do these things uh, willy-nilly. You don't want to put this in a in a blood vessel and and harm or kill yourself. There are, are def- definitely risks. Um, so, you know, that said, it's it's just like any number of other you know skydiving, mm-hmm. bungee jumping type activities. You have to weigh the risks, make sure that you take the appropriate care. If you're going to a doctor, seek a practitioner that has a positive reputation. If you're getting the materials to do it yourself. You know, make sure it is from a provider that has a sterling reputation for, for providing true sanitary materials that are exactly what they're advertised to be. You know, all I guess things I would consider common sense uh, go out the window when you're dealing with fetish. You know, when you get amped up and excited about something, some of the common sense sits in the backseat. And these are the kinds of mods where that can't happen. You have to be eyes open the entire way. And very careful about it. So, I mean, we've touched on it, but obviously there's also a legal aspect to this sort of. As you said, it can be classed as um, practicing medicine without a license. And are there any other legal issues like doing this to your body can have? Well, doing it to yourself, um, to the best I was able to understand, is legal. You know, you can do anything Mm -hmm. to yourself short of committing suicide. Um, but the, uh, the potential for doing it to someone else or helping someone else do it becomes a very serious, immediately a very serious gray area. Um, you, you, you're practicing medicine without a license. So it it limits people sharing knowledge and experience within the community because they're afraid to be held accountable for someone else's mistakes. And I mean, to be fair, the consequences of a mistake can be very serious. So you know, I, I certainly understand that. But the materials themselves, you know, liquid, sterile, medical-grade liquid silicone, 
is as benign as it could be. I mean, it, it is the definition of the term. It can't harm anyone. It's not a drug. It's not a medication. Um, it doesn't do anything except sit in your body, which is its job. Um, so selling it um, and the, the materials to, to do the, the process is legal. But selling it for the purpose that it's being sold for is not legal. Uh, so that, you know, it's again, it's a <laughs> yeah. weird mix of, of issues. It's also challenging to get depending on where you are in the world. I know a lot of providers are international, you know, a lot more from a lot more availability in Europe than there is in the United States, a lot more availability in Mexico, that type of thing. Well, yeah. So I think that's covered everything was going to ask then. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much. We've, we've, uh, we've gone through just about everything on, uh, on our list of questions. I guess to, to conclude, um, you know, you've, you've talked about how people need to take responsibility for things and how to source it, but is there anything else, you know, just of a non-medical or non-legal nature you would tell, you know, a person listening to this podcast who's thinking, this is something I want to explore? Or where do I get started? Should I do this? What would what advice or or what would you tell them? Well, again, I I would say definitely uh, talk to someone. Uh, it's hard to you know. There's not a resource page where you can go find someone and say hey. Um, but there are a lot of guys that have done this now, and the number has increased over the years. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are at the very least willing to share their experiences and talk about it um, candidly. They may not be willing to share a source. They may be able to say yeah, I'll email your name to a guy. Um, Again, I don't want to endorse. I don't want to say this is the thing for you, run out and do it, because it is a huge, huge set of commitments over a long time. Um, but I am very happy with the results. I'm very pleased with what has happened. Um, the adventure has been a good one. I, I hope in seven years I can say the same thing, you know, that I haven't had any medical issues or other concerns. But that that is one heartening thing is the number of people that I talk to who've had these mods for a long time. Um, largely don't have anything more to add. Like it's, yep, yep. It's huge. I have giant balls. Like, you know, there's no, I had a tumor removed or, you know, I can't do this anymore, that kind of thing. It's, it's been, again, a positive experience for me. And that's really what counts. I mean, there's nothing about fetish that I think to the average vanilla person sort of screams, yes, this was something that was very logical to me as, <laughs> as a suburban husband and, and father of two and the, the head of the church soccer team. It, fetish is always about sort of pursuing interests that the world at large may or may not understand so it's got to be a very personal decision right and it's a it's a compulsion that you know you have to again be fairly calm with the fact that other people aren't necessarily going and you know i think tattoos Mm -hmm. of all the strange things you know to make body modify people accepted tattoos have come a long way to sort of make folks say yeah you know that really doesn't hurt anybody um it's not my thing or i would never get one or you know anything else but that body modification is present. It's omnipresent. People see it everywhere. And it, it makes body modifications in general uh, just a little less shocking or at least a little less difficult to process. Well, Craig, any uh, any closing thoughts from uh, you? Um, well, it has been incredibly enlightening talking to you about this. And, you know, I, for one, have learned way more than I thought I knew. Oh, great. I'm, I'm glad I could help <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for being on here, Chris. We we know it's always difficult to sort of put yourself out in a, in a public forum, and we really do appreciate you being so candid and so open and so well informed. Well, thanks for asking. I, I my first thought was I wish that I had heard something like this 
um, before I started because there were so many questions I had that went unanswered. So I, I genuinely hope it helps other people. Brilliant. I mean, that's part of why we do this podcast is... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So if you'd like to write into the Kinky Boys podcast, our email will be in the uh, show notes. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Kinky Boys Podcast, um, and a Twitter, at Kinky Boys Podcast. Uh, you can reach me personally um, on Mastodon at bootblackcub at kinky.business. And I am Arzur, A-R-Z-H-U-R, at kinky.business. And if you have any further questions for Chris about this, um, we would be happy to put you in contact. Yes, yeah, so from me, that's goodbye. And from me, over in uh, lovely smoke-free Washington, that's goodbye. <laughs> and uh, until next time, listeners, goodbye. <laughs>